0: Good morning, I trust you've had a good week and uh, this morning, I uh, looked through the window about 7.30 this morning and there was a beautiful, beautiful sunrise for just a short time because it was so cloudy, but the heavens were illuminated with a golden light and I, the thought that came to me was, is this the day? That our Lord will return. Is this the day that he will break through the eastern skies? What a beautiful day. The message this morning, uh, seven best practices for living with financial wisdom uh, from a variety of scriptures this morning. So just kind of follow me as we move through from one verse to another, the book of Proverbs and Psalms and so on. My wife is a teacher. I saw her in action uh, this summer with our granddaughter in Michigan. Uh, Jane was feeling a little intimidated because she hadn't learned to conquer her two-wheel bike. The training wheels were still on. And when Grandma came to visit, Grandma accepted the responsibility of helping Jane to ride her bike without the training wheels. And under, under Grandma's trustful guidance, she conquered the job. In I know less than two days, and she found a new freedom in her life that was so contagious that her four-year-old brother, Miles uh, thought that, well, maybe he could do it too uh, as well. And on his smaller bike, in just a few days, those training wheels also came off, and he was set free. and for the rest of the time. Those kids were, come and watch, come and watch, come and watch, come and watch me ride my bike. And uh, there was such confidence and laughter and increasing speed as the days went on. They had a new independence, and it was so fun to see. There is an area of ministry that is so large and dominating at times that I enthusiastically would love to see the training wheels come off at TCC and every other church around. I'd love to see us free and confident in our calling. It is the training wheels on the bicycle called generosity. But before I look too broadly this morning, uh, I have to tell you that I often look at my own bike. And I see that, uh, that there are some days that I have fearfully and inadvertently put the training wheels back on. Uh, so I'm very much in process of finding my own freedom. And I want you to know that as well. I made the connection this week that, that really that was indeed what the Apostle Paul was saying to the Corinthians when he wrote in 2 Corinthians 8-7, that just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, in your love for us. See that you also excel in the grace of giving. And I think you could translate that in the grace of generosity. He's saying that in a lot of areas of life, you don't need the training wheels any longer. You do amazingly well. You're great at business. You're great at teaching. You're wonderful as parents. You're outstanding in sports. You're great in planning and using your talents. You excel in all of these things. But Paul says to his friends in Corinth, but I want you to take off the training wheels, especially in the whole area of generosity. I'm so excited that the beginning on Friday evening, Dr. Scott Roden will help us take off the training wheels. And what is becoming increasingly clear to me is that this this is the process. There are steps to becoming a more generous person. And this morning, I just want to share a few of those steps. There are a lot of clues distributed throughout the book of Proverbs, also the book of Psalms. So we'll catch a few of those as we attempt to take off the training wheels. And if you're like me, it's never quite a a done deal. One month you'll be riding along in freedom and then the next month you find yourself in the weeds and you find the need to put the training wheels back on again. But first of all, keeping perspective of uh, who we are. Uh, the, the story is told of John Wesley who heard uh, the news about a fire in, in the village. John Wesley back in the uh, 18th century. A distraught man rode up at his horse to John Wesley, shouting, Mr. Wesley, Mr. Wesley, something terrible happened. Your house burned to the ground. And Mr. Wesley said, no, it didn't. No, he said, it, it did. It burned to the ground. I was just at the village, and I'm here to tell you it burned to the ground. He said, no, it didn't. He said, it's not my house. The Lord's house burned to the ground, but it's not my house. That just means one less responsibility for me. While it sounds a little bit strange to us, his reaction wasn't denial. It was really a bold affirmation of reality that God is the owner of all things, even my house, and we are simply his stewards. And that's the reminder of Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. That's probably the most important piece of information to believe deeply with all of our hearts and all of our minds, because when we comprehend that verse at the deepest level, it changes our entire perspective. But it seems that everything fights against us in trying to really grasp that truth. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. That makes him the owner and us the stewards or managers. There was a wonderful story in that great theological journal called Reader's Digest. A traveler between flights at an airport went to a lounge and bought a small package of cookies. She sat down and she began reading her newspaper and gradually she became aware of a rustling noise just from behind her newspaper over to her left. She was flabbergasted to see a neatly dressed man helping himself to her cookies. Not wanting to make a scene, she leaned over and took a cookie herself. A minute or two passed and then came more rustling. He was helping himself to get another one of her cookies. So she grabbed another one. This went on until they were down to the last cookie, which the man broke in two shoved half to her, and he ate the other half. She was still fuming about this sometime later. When her flight was announced, she opened her handbag to get her ticket. To her shock and embarrassment, she found her pack of unopened cookies. Not only had he not been eating her cookies, she'd been eating his cookies. It makes a great deal of difference in how you approach life depending on who you think owns the cookies. You can really get upset if you think other people are nibbling on your cookies because they're mine. Or you can have a liberating sense that they're not my cookies anyway, and I'm happy to share them with you. The danger for us is to lose perspective and to live with a sense of entitlement, a sense of this is mine, And we forget that everything we have is really a gift of God. Hold it loosely. It is a gift of God. If we grasp the reality that God is owner, then we see that all of life as an investment. And we walk through life investing. Isn't it awesome to think that we are called to invest the owner's money and resources? And when we get to the end of our investment journey, there will be a performance review. How did you handle the investments that you were given by the owner? And Romans chapter 14, verse 10 is a word from the Apostle Paul. He says, remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. And verse 12 says, yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. So the first step in releasing these training wheels is to underscore the ownership principle. That it all belongs to Him. Keeping perspective of who we are as stewards. Have you grasped that truth deep down in your heart that it's not yours anyway? It's His. God is the owner of everything, and we are His managers. The second thing is keeping out of the debt ditch. I love the expression that I'm uh, doing my best to keep it between the ditches. And that's a good thing when you're learning to drive. Well, that's a good thing when you're an experienced driver as well, to keep it between the ditches. Obviously, you did it this morning as you came here to church. You kept it between the ditches. And that's often what parents say about their child. I'm just trying to keep him between the ditches d- during these years. If we could just keep him between the ditches and we'll trust he'll grow out or she'll grow out of this. One of the ditches that our society deals with in an ongoing fashion is the ditch of debt. Neil McGregor is a, a British historian and he is a museum director. He wrote a famous book called The History of the World in 100 Objects. And he takes all of these objects that you can see on the screen here and he tells the impact of this object on human history. They're hard to distinguish. But the 99th object on his list is that little piece of plastic that we carry in our wallets and we call it a credit card. Credit cards started emerging in the late 1950s. The bank, AmeriCard. Uh, the ancestor of the visa, the first one out in the 50s. According to McGregor, credit cards have become the ultimate symbol of economic freedom. But there is a dark side. McGregor writes, there's little doubt o- at all that paying by credit card does increase our willingness to spend often more than we can afford to spend. Well, we know that today that's, a, that's an understatement and that credit card have landed a lot of people in the debt ditch. The credit card is good when it works for us to build up our credit, making paying easier and giving us some travel miles. I mean, I love cashing in the travel miles and getting a free trip. I don't love paying the 20% interest rate. Proverbs 22 7 says, Just as the rich rule the poor, so the borrower is servant to the lender. We understand some debt to be acceptable debt. Wise financial planners will tell you that in certain markets at certain times, it's wise to purchase a house even when there's going to be a mortgage on it that the mortgage needs to be paid on a monthly basis. There are times when a mortgage is not the best choice. Credit card debt when not paid off on a monthly basis is devastating because the interest rate rate may run from 18 to 25%. By paying only the minimum monthly payment, a debt of $10,000 may end up costing you five times that amount or more and take years and years and years to repay. We should put a little sticker on our credit cards. This may be hazardous to your financial, emotional, and spiritual health. Every time we take it out, we take a look at that. Why does debt send up a red flag for all of us because it's like an octopus with eight arms and those arms put the squeeze on us they squeeze out freedom and peace they disrupt the family they restrict what we can do and what we can't do it keeps you from responding to some of the needs of your own family to your friends to God and to the way you would want to live your life it's a ditch And if you need help to move out of debt, there are courses you can take. There are counselors you can talk to. Debt takes away our freedom. It causes great stress. It causes relational challenges between spouses. Proverbs 22, 7. Just as the rich rule the poor, so the borrower is servant to the lender. Debt puts us into the ditch. Thirdly, keeping a lid on our wants. I read about ticks the other day. Interesting how they can get on your body. If you brush against some foliage, if you walk in a forest, bushes that have a tick on it, they can fall on your neck, they can fall on your shoulder, they can get on your legs. They don't jump. They just fall. They fall on you. Ticks are called the overeaters of the insect world. Ticks are gluttonous. And when they latch onto you, they can't stop. They put in their tentacles and they start extracting your blood. And they can't stop. They balloon seven to ten times their normal size. They're utterly transformed. And then they drop off. So full, so gluttonous, so swollen, they they fall onto the ground and literally they can't move for hours. They're so bloated, they can't move. And we would like to say, enough already. Stop eating on me. Get off my body. There's a bit of a tick in all of us that needs to come under control. At times, I can be a picture of excess, not knowing when to say enough, enough, not knowing when to stop, always wanting more. I'm particularly like that around chocolate puffed wheat squares. Always have been. I lose all sense of control and limits. We called it sticky stuff as kids growing up. And I could never just walk through the kitchen. If it, th- if it was there on the counter, every time I walked through, another one, another one, another one. Uh, they're so good. We have a disease of more. And the inability to say enough in all areas of our lives. Clothes, cars, vacations, homes, Without thinking, I drift into the pursuit of an expanding lifestyle that goes relatively unchallenged in my life. Now, Jesus never said that we couldn't enjoy the blessings that God has sent to us. It's a wonderful gift to be able to enjoy the things that God has given to us. But there is a place to say, enough. Push the tick off. My desire to snatch another chocolate rice-wheat square has to slow down. I will balloon out of control and hit the floor if I don't stop. Jesus had a remedy for us when we struggle with enough is enough for limits. He taught us that the really big joy in life is in giving and not in getting. Our biggest bang for our buck Would not be in getting something more to put on the shelf and then to dust around it, but in giving something to bless somebody else. It's more blessed to give than to receive. I love what one writer said. What if you were to say, as of today, I am declaring I now have enough. I will not seek to raise my standard of consumption. I will not try to keep up with the Joneses anymore. In fact, I will declare the is the winner. I will congratulate them. <coughs> Where I'm living now, this level of consumption is enough. From now on, if God brings more revenue my way, if God raises my income, I will seek to increase my giving and not my acquiring. You know, there's actually a verse in Proverbs that talks about Leeches, not ticks, but I think they're pretty close. Proverbs 30, the the leech has two suckers that cry out, more, more. Keeping a lid on our wants, it's time to say, enough. (coughs) Excuse me. Fourthly, keeping current with a plan, we... uh, (coughs) take the training wheels off when we follow a plan that allows us to be generous in all of life. I came across a wonderful little video clip this past week about the Christians living in uh, Mizoram, the Indian, North Indian state of Mizoram. And they have a beautiful phrase to express the way that they give to God. They call it Bufai Tham. And it means one handful of rice at a time. And here's how it works. Families in the church set aside a portion of rice at every meal for God. And when they collect enough rice, they donate it to their local church. And the church turns around and sells the rice to generate income. And so we're just going to put that video on. It's just going to be about a minute long. There are many ways of serving the Lord. Some people do great things. Some people are good teachers. Some people contribute lots and lots of money. But when we talk about this handful of rice, it is very humble. The service is done in the corner of the kitchen. That nobody sees. But God knows. God bless. Every day simple women in the state of Mizoram in northeast India are spearheading a revolution that is sweeping the world of missions. Their movement, both by some or a handful of rice. Thank you. They have a plan. They have a plan to reach their their province, their state for Christ. We talk about a 10-10-80 plan. If you don't have a plan, this is a great way to get started. Take the first 10% of whatever God sends your way right off the top and give it to God's work. Mark and I started this pretty much after we got married. And we had some money coming in. Not a lot, but we had some money coming in. And we took it off the top if you take it off the bottom, you'll never give it because there's never enough left at the end of the day. But we took the first fruits, as the Bible calls it, and gave the first 10% to the Lord. If you try to take the last fruits, it will never work. So 10% as a guideline off the top, 10% into a savings program, and that leaves 80% to live on. Now, if you think about it, for most of us, 80% is probably more than we need, although I don't know that for sure, and I qualify that. But ask God to lead you in how we handle all of what God gives to us. We could enter into the discussion of whether 10% is the New Testament guideline or the Old Testament guideline. Actually, the Old Testament was a whole lot more because there were different kinds of tithes. In the New Testament, we see 10% as the tithe. As the foundation, kind of the place to start in being generous with our resources to God. But what a blessing to say, God, it's all yours. I want to be generous and honor you with all of my resources. Sometimes I'm going to step out and give and I'm not even sure where it's coming from to to be able to make that commitment. Sometimes God wants us to do that. Other times we're simply faithful to to give out of the resources with which God has blessed us. So having a plan, keeping current with a plan. Fifthly, keeping watch over the poor. I'm so glad that TCC has some specific ways in which we can keep watch over the poor. We know like any church, we can't do it all ourselves, but we can do something. And we've elected that one of the things we can do is sponsor children with Compassion Canada. Another 31 children sponsored last Sunday. Thank you for your generosity. And we will do the Operation Christmas Child in October. The shoeboxes. That's something we can do. We can support Hope Mission and their vision. And all we have to do is just get behind them and volunteer. Everything is organized for us. We don't have to invent the wheel we just kind of move in and, and partner and get behind them. We can get behind in Lacey in El Salvador where we will have some hands-on experience and where we can contribute to an organization that is hands-on in this very impoverished part uh, of, of the country. Our team will be working with in Lacey November 1 to 10 as they travel down uh, in just a few weeks' time. Now listen to these great words in Proverbs 19:17: 17. If you help the poor you are lending to the Lord, and He will repay you. If you help the poor, you're lending to the Lord, and He will repay you. And listen to these words from the Gospel of Matthew. We heard them this morning on video. And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Friends, do you know why God gives us more money than we need? It's so we can give generously. We often think, well, it's just a huge blessing from God that he's given me all of this. And it is. You might also say, this is a real test from God in how he has blessed us. And what will we do with it? I like Randy Elkhorn's story in the book we have on the table out here. Suppose you have something that you want to go, want to, go to someone who needs it. You wrap it up. And you hand it over to the FedEx guy. What would you think in, of instead of delivering the package, the guy took it home, opened it, and kept it for himself? You'd say, this guy doesn't deserve that. He doesn't get it. The package doesn't belong to him. He's just the middleman. His job is to get them from me to the person that I want him to hand it off to. You know, just because God puts his money in our hands doesn't mean he intends it to stay there. Just because God puts his money in our hands doesn't mean he intends it to stay there. Look around. See the poor. See the needs. And let your heart be overjoyed with the spirit of generosity. You're the middleman, the middle woman. He has charged us with the responsibility of keeping watch. Over the poor. And then number six. Keep aware of our modeling. We're always modeling to our children. And to others around us. Much of what we communicate to others is simply caught. Rather than intentionally taught. Psalm 3411 says. Come my children and listen to me. And I will teach you to fear the Lord. We didn't talk much about giving in our home as I was growing up. I know that my dad and my mom, they gave to the Lord. I know that. But we didn't talk about it. I, I, didn't, I don't know if I heard much from the pulpit as well in those days. It's one of those things that you just kind of expected to learn from osmosis, that somehow you'll, you'll pick it up along the way. But when you read the Scripture, there is a ton of information about stewardship and handling our resources. In fact, Jesus talked about it more than any other subject. So he understood how integral it was to all of life. And he wanted us to understand with all of our hearts that God is the owner and we are the stewards. My parents were farmers, so their income was a bit more seasonal. There were times when the money stream came in and there were times when it just wasn't there. But we didn't, didn't talk about that. We didn't talk about how they handled it. It's a great idea, parents, to talk to your children about giving and being generous. We have to be careful that in our kindness and love for our kids, that we don't give them too much. Can I say that? I want to say that in a sensitive way, but also in a thoughtful way. We don't want to develop their consumption patterns from a very young age. We don't want to raise their entitlement bar too high. It's hard to get the bar back down. We're trying to be a blessing, but we cultivate the wrong attitude instead of the right one. We sometimes say, well, I can't give as much time as I would like to the kids. So I I want to give them money. And that can be dangerous. Parents, we model for our children in the way we steward our resources. They watch how we use our credit cards. They listen to the hard conversations over financial debt. They hear the good things about generosity and humility and prayer as we engage in helping people. Take the training wheels off by, helping, by putting the training wheels on our children's bikes. You're modeling for them in your home. And then finally, keeping aware of life's brevity. Matthew Henry wrote, It ought to be the business of every day to prepare for our last day. It ought to be the business of every day to prepare for our last day. Five minutes after I die, what will I wish I had given away while I still had the chance? Randy Alcorn put it this way, When you leave this world, will you be known as one who accumulated treasures on earth that you couldn't keep? Or will you be recognized as one who invested treasures in heaven that you couldn't lose? I never expected to quote Stephen King, the novelist. Um, But I was surprised to read what he wrote. Just give a listen. He writes this, We come in naked and broke. We may be dressed up when we go out, but we're just as broke. Warren Buffett is going to go out broke Bill Gates is going to go out broke Tom Hanks is going out broke Stephen King broke not a crying dime all the money you earn all the stocks you buy all the mutual funds you trade all of that is mostly smoke and mirrors and he wrote this in the context of having a a very severe accident where he was lying in the ditch nearly died. Rushed to hospital, survived. He said, so I want you to consider making your life one long gift to others. And why not? All you have is on loan anyway. All that lasts is what you pass on. We have the power to help, the power to change. And why should we refuse? Because we're going to take it with us? Oh, please, he writes. Right now we have the power to do great good for others. So I ask you to begin giving and to continue as you began. I think you'll find in the end that you got far more than you ever had and did more good than you'd ever dreamed. I've been at the bedside of many people as they said goodbye to their loved ones and to their time in this world. Never yet have I heard anyone say, I'm so glad my financial portfolio is so large. No, almost always the conversation is about God, about his love, about his grace, about his forgiveness, about his guidance in life, the blessing of family. Here's what Jesus said about our final audit. When someone has been given much, much will be required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. Life is brief. It's soon over. We have an opportunity while we have life and breath to say, Lord, all we have is yours. We have an opportunity now to live in that perspective, in that stance. Lord, it's all yours. Help me be a faithful steward. Would you stand with me, please? Lord, help me, help us, be faithful stewards. Help us to be faithful stewards. Help us to be generous stewards. We humbly acknowledge Your Lordship today. You're the owner. Lord, we acknowledge that. We are the managers. Give us wisdom while You give us health and strength and life to invest well. Help us to help our our children, our grandchildren, maybe even our great-grandchildren on their journey to model well for them. We're thankful for your many blessings, Lord. They are too numerous to count. We just say thank you today. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to walk with you As your stewards, we pray that you would give us open eyes to see the needs around us. Pray that you will give us your perspective to follow faithfully. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray.